Welcome to Grid Talk, a series of conversations with the leaders and innovators shaping the 21st century grid. Hosting the podcast is Marty Rosenberg, an award-winning energy journalist. The series is sponsored by the Department of Energy's Office of Electricity Advanced Grid Research Division. Now, here's Marty Rosenberg with Grid Talk. Welcome to Grid Talk. Today we have with us Wayne Stensby, who's the president and CEO of Luma Energy in Puerto Rico. Luma Energy is a consortium, joint venture set up by Quanta Services, Canadian Utilities, which is owned by ADCO, and I believe Innovative Energy Management. Hi, Wayne. How are you? I'm fantastic, Marty, and I'm thrilled to uh, spend the next little bit of time with you talking about Puerto Rico and Luma Energy. Wonderful. Do I have the structure right? Those three entities are what comprise Luma? You do indeed. As you said, the Luma organization, Luma Energy or Luma, was formed as a company to move forward with Puerto Rico's electricity transformation and uh, a company named Qantas Services, uh, which is you know, one of North America's largest utility operators, came together with a company um, named ATCO, as you said, that, that has utilities in many corners of the world and, um, and an exceptional approach to customer service. And then we joined up with, together we joined up with IEM, to bring some uh, expertise in federal funding management. And collectively, we formed um, this new company here in Puerto Rico called Luma Energy. So let's jump right in. Um, you mentioned FEMA. Um, in a matter of days, I believe it's December 19th, PREPA, the Puerto Rico Electric Power Authority, is going to be filing a plan with FEMA to release and secure $10.5 billion for work in in grid restoration. Is that correct? Yes. So earlier this year, there was was an announcement made from the White House and and from FEMA um, that obligated this $10.5 billion to PREPA for restoration of, of the electricity system in Puerto Rico. And um, in the next few days, as you said, the PREPA team uh, will be responding to that in a way and issuing their own 10-year plan uh, that will set out uh, the priorities as they see it um, across the 10 years for deployment of that, you know, that, that roughly $10.5 billion. And I believe Luma Energy has a 15-year contract uh, to do its primarily T and D work, is that right? Get the transmission distribution line uh, where it needs to be. Yeah. So the way I would describe uh, Luma's role is we're we're going to. Um, so you're absolutely right. We have a 15 uh, year contract. The contract was awarded uh, earlier this year in June, on June the 22nd, and we're in a front-end transition period where we're building out our plans and the own, our own infrastructure inside of Luma as we start up our brand new company, uh, you know, doing lots of plumbing and wiring, uh, all the things you would do to, to have a substantial business started up. And in kind of mid-2021, we will begin our 15-year term as the T&D operator. Um, we will 
lead all of the customer facing elements of the business. So when customers have, um, you know, have a new connection that they would like with us, they'll approach Luma. Um, if they have questions or, or any information they are looking for on, on their bills, um, or energy efficiency programs, they'll, they'll connect and, and speak to us at Luma. Um, if they have, you know, outages, it will be Luma responding to customer outages. Um, and so we will have additionally the operations and maintenance responsibilities for all of the T&D system in Puerto Rico. Uh, so that will be bulk transmission um, as well as distribution. We will, in addition, have responsibilities for system operations and, and, um, and, and planning functions. Um, and so we'll be operating the control center and dispatching generation. So I think, you know, what, what another way to look at it is we'll have accountability for all of Puerto Rico's electricity system except for generation. So let's start on page one here and go back three years to Hurricane Maria, which caused $94 billion of infrastructure damage, among which was the toppling of 25% of the electric towers for transmission. Um, is your job primarily to rebuild that? And the second part of this big question is, 15 years from today, when your job is done, how will the TND on the island of Puerto Rico look different than it did when Hurricane Maria hit? So I think that's a great way to provide some context, Marty, is... You know, I, and I might go back even a little bit further than Maria. I think, um, you know, the, the, the PREPA infrastructure and, the, and the, the electricity system had been in a series of uh, degradation, might be the best word, but in a series of deterioration literally over the last couple of decades. And, um, you know, it had faced many external pressures. And in some cases, I think, you know, there were some difficult decisions along the way that that uh, were simply not taken. And so, you know, here you have a system that had substantial underinvestment. Um, and then, uh, in fact, prior to Hurricane Maria, as you may know, uh, PREPA was placed into bankruptcy. So they weren't able to fulfill their debt obligations. And so, um, you know, before Hurricane Maria, Irma and then Maria came along, uh, you had a bankrupt utility that had had um, substantial underinvestment, had real serious maintenance uh, and operations concerns and issues. And, and really at that point, um, you know, needed some significant transformation. And then uh, Hurricane uh, Irma followed very quickly by Hurricane Maria caused you know, unprecedented scale of damage to Puerto Rico, never mind the electricity system. So the question, Wayne, really is a hurricane of the scale of Maria, which climate scientists are telling us might become more common as climate change uh, works its damage on our atmosphere. Is it something that can be hardened against philosophically? Or do you think you'll have something that'll be more capable of withstanding hurricane scale gale winds when you're done? Or is it impossible? For sure. 
No, no. I, I, I mean, no, I mean, absolutely. And there's many, um, I mean, from, you know, if you, as, as we've done our work and as many before us have done their work, um, the, the damage that occurred, and I, I suppose that's why I was setting up the context, Marty, was the damage that occurred um, was certainly on bulk transmission. And as you say, there were, you know, lots of images of transmission towers toppled, et cetera. Um, but if you think about a resilient system and the ability for a system to withstand storms um, and then be relatively quickly restored, it goes much, you know, it is possible and it does exist in um, in many parts of the mainland U.S. And, and you know, it takes, uh, it takes investment and it takes systems and it takes um, a methodical approach, but it's absolutely possible and it's what um, people in Puerto Rico deserve and what the economy here, frankly, uh, requires. You know, and it, it's everything from very basic uh, management of vegetation and um, management of, you know, flood mitigation and substations and, and elements like that to just what you said, to being able to design uh, transmission structures and other structures for potential wind loading. So it's a it's a very diverse set of of requirements and and that's what I was pointing to is there is much to do in the infrastructure today um, and and much improvement that that uh, we're very much looking forward to getting started on because we know it can make a substantial improvement to customers so let's talk about that because we're going to have folks listening in on this podcast from around the United States. To the extent that you have a relatively clean slate to build back with current technology in Puerto Rico, do you think you'll be pushing the envelope and going beyond what, let's say, the Gulf states currently have, uh, Louisiana, Texas, Florida, uh, to withstand these kinds of storms? Are you going to be able to move in a new direction and learn lessons and skills and technology that might be applicable in the mainland? I think the short answer to that is yes. Um, and I don't, um, you know, I think what's very important is that we learn um, from everybody and from the industry. And so in many elements here in Puerto Rico, we have a little bit of an opportunity to do a bit of a leapfrog in technology, as I would describe it, you know, and part of this underinvestment has meant that we're not simply, if you think of um, dispatch systems or outage management systems or, you know, some of the technology side of the business, um, we're not simply faced with the next uh, revision of software on a current platform. We're actually, we have the opportunity and the requirement, frankly, to um, fundamentally install um, the next platform. And so I, I see that as an opportunity for Puerto Rico. I think on the bulk transmission side, and as you know, there's been much conversation and much development on um, microgrids and and some of those approaches to segmentation and, and being able to make for a, a more resilient, you know, electricity system, which really means one that will bounce back faster, it'll be more resistive to storms and, and have fewer outages, but following storms and, and subsequent outages, it will be able to come back into service more quickly. Um, 
I think there's some really interesting opportunities here in Puerto Rico. Um, and, you know, as we work with our utility partners and, you know, the, the, the likes of the DOE and many other people, I think there is just what you said, substantial opportunity to, um, um, to make something that works for Puerto Rico, which is, you know, Puerto Rico is a, a very unique environment. Let's talk for a little bit about the architecture of the grid that you'll be creating. Puerto Rico historically has had a centralized grid reliant largely on baseload coal and oil. And as you know, other parts of PREPA's plans include include, um, building substantial amounts of of solar, 3,600 megawatts, 1,300 megawatts of battery storage, eight microgrids. To what extent will this be a centralized grid versus a distributed, uh, more digitized grid? I think it will be all of that, frankly. And I, I don't mean to sound like I'm not addressing the question because I, I, I want to address the question. But I think, you know, today we, we have a blank sheet of paper, but in some ways we also have an existing system. And so what you described is um, is very true in that it's, you know, substantially oil-fired central generating units today with bulk transmission. Um, that isn't going to change tomorrow. It's going to evolve over the next, you know, five years and 10 years. And so we need to both support that existing system and then we need to move to this more distributed system. So I think you end up with, um, you know, a wee bit of a hybrid, which is connecting in um, these new microgrids, um, bringing in substantial amounts of um, solar or renewable generation and integrating that well and smartly into the existing, um, you know, network and, um, and enabling that, of course, you know, we'll be, we'll be responsible for managing connection queues and, and supporting that, that growth. But at the same time, at least for the next few years, there will still be these large central generating stations. Um, and uh, for me, what's really important is, you know, we find a, we, we apply all of our focus on improving the reliability, kind of moving forward. And so I think, I think it's kind of one eye to the future and one eye to the present as we, as we get started. Does it create any uh, challenging um, planning on your part to build for today with an eye towards tomorrow? In other words, build for a centralized grid with an eye towards a more distributed grid? And what lessons might you have for other parts of the country that are looking at similar kinds of needs? I, I mean, there's no question. It, it, I, 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 I would reframe it almost to say, you know, we see that as one of the opportunities. That's what gets us excited is, is being able to, um, the opportunity to kind of do a little bit of a technology leapfrog where we can is a, is a huge opportunity. Uh, the opportunity to, you know, just what, as you described it kind of, um, you know, work with today, but plan for tomorrow. I think it's what, uh, electricity professionals and and planning people um, dream about is the opportunity to work to aggressive timeframes and to um, implement some uh, 
very innovative technology. And so, yeah, I, I for sure it does. For sure there's there's additional effort involved, but I haven't met a you know person in our industry yet that doesn't get super excited by that opportunity. So a lot of people in the industry and, and the public as well remember images of people being without electricity for upwards of a year in Puerto Rico as um, the devastation was difficult to build back from. One of the the uh, causes that was cited was that unlike the United States, where utilities have evolved a system of helping each other and sending crews in from around a big footprint to restore a hard-hit area, Puerto Rico being an island can't have that kind of backup. Is there a way for you to address that failing that or that reality as you build the grid, the inability to call on other neighboring utilities for assistance? Yes, and and you know I would say one of the other, um, I I get back to one of the other significant challenges post Irma Maria um, was you had a bankrupt, um, you know, utility uh, that was in really 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 poor state, and um, you know I I think uh, the the way forward for Puerto Rico in terms of um, you know. Number one, we need a more resilient system to the storms that are inevitably going to arrive. Number two, you know, some of the approaches are um, to make sure we have sufficient um, trucks and equipment and um, tools pre-positioned, if you like, ahead of uh, hurricane season. Because as you point out, it's not as simple, you know, it's not as and I don't mean to suggest it's simple anywhere, but it isn't. You, know, you don't have the benefit of having um, equipment that can, you know, drive across from a from a neighboring state. And so, pre-positioning of equipment will be important. You know, it'll be incumbent on us to do a, a better job of of having standby contracts and and plans in place for for response. And then, at the end of the day, I mean, as you need. Uh, additional line workers or additional crews from outside of Puerto Rico, it's, we will simply need to uh, to fly them to get them here. But I don't think any of that makes it impossible. It probably just means we need to be a little bit more purposeful in the way we plan for storm response. Is there anybody talking about the possibility of having cooperation across the Caribbean of uh, utilities helping each other out? For sure there is. And I, you know, I have spoken to some of my fellow utility leaders across the Caribbean. And I, I do think that's a, that's a real possibility provided of course, that the, you know, whatever storms Puerto Rico has faced haven't in turn um, impacted neighboring utilities. So I, I think we're sure that's a, an obvious um, solution. As long as I said, as long as we don't have that, you know, kind of a related impact to our um, our neighboring utilities, and and then there's a bit of a scale conversation in that as well, which is, you know, some some of the um, Caribbean utilities are larger, obviously, than others, and, and have simply have more capacity. When you are on the island of Puerto Rico right now, as we talk, is that right? That's right. I'm speaking to you from San Juan, my new home, and, and it's a uh, it's a very poor island. There's a lot of poverty. 
there. And you and I are talking about a plan to bring in $20 billion to build up the grid um, in coming decade and beyond. And what's, what's your thought seeing the island with your eyes where it is today? What role that spending can do to transform the island? Yeah, it, it, um, you know, Marty, as, as I reflect on, um, what this can mean for Puerto Rico, it, it's what gets, you know, everyone on my team up every day and, and excited to do what we're doing. You know, electricity is, is for us not just about poles and wires. It's about economic development and prosperity, right? And when you're here and you see, you know, literally the, the electricity going out two or three or four times a week where you live, um, and you understand the impact of that on, um, you know, residential customers, but small businesses, you know, the, the dry cleaner, or the restaurant or the, the grocery store. And you, and you understand that virtually all of these businesses have some form of backup generation that they wouldn't have um, in most parts of the world that they've had to invest in. And so that, that you know, capital is precious and taking that capital away from, from their small business or their, or their large business gets in the way of their own growth. And then you think of the pharmaceutical industry here and the medical device industry. And, and um, Puerto Rico has a number of very powerful economic drivers that are today being uh, hindered by electricity. And so when I think of the opportunity to make a fundamental change to that, to bring reliable electricity to people and the the, as you mentioned, you know, the very significant amount of capital funding itself will create thousands and thousands of jobs for Puerto Ricans, never mind when we uh, improve the reliability and resiliency of the, of the system. Um, you know, the secondary and kind of tertiary impacts of, of people being able to count on electricity and then the rest of the economy beginning to fire on a few more cylinders and, and the, the jobs and the economic impact of that. Um, I, I don't know that that's, that's the greater purpose, right? Is, is to make a fundamental improvement to Puerto Rico. And that's what we're so excited to be doing. So I believe your efforts entail a workforce of 2,200 people. Um, is that number correct? And, and how are you going to be, recruiting locally what is that underway already how many people will you be flying in yeah we've started so you know the the vast vast so we luma is a puerto rican company the vast vast number of our employees will be puerto rican we began recruiting about six weeks ago and uh and our priority is for uh existing prepa employees so we're working hard to connect to the existing prep employees and, you know, bring that, that knowledge and that dedication and that professionalism that many, um, that employees across prep show kind of every day in very difficult circumstances. So we want to, um, we want to um, bring those people into Luma. And then of course we will supplement them with some additional skills um, as needed. And, you know, we see thousands of jobs for us, and um, so yeah, we're we're that, that's a very large element of what we're doing in this first year. 
I don't know what uh, percentage, is the 2200 a correct figure of the number of jobs? No, I think we're likely to have many, many more jobs than that. I don't, I don't have an exact figure for you today, but, um, you know, but it, it is substantial for sure. And what percentage do you think will be a former PREPA employees? And more to the point, do you worry about the corporate culture of bringing over people that were in a utility that, as you said, has been mired by uh, bankruptcy and problems for decades? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I see it as a huge opportunity. So we're creating, you know, Luma was formed by, as we as we started this conversation, by Quanta and ATCO. And we've brought the values of those organizations into Luma um, and then created something here for, for Puerto Rico. And I, so I see an opportunity to kind of reset the culture. We're creating, this is a fresh company, a fresh culture, we're going to put safety first. We're going to put customers first. Um, and, you know, I, I'm excited um, for uh, PREPA people to join us. I, I don't I don't know how many um, or what percentages. You know, I, I do hope um, we get, um, you know, a majority of the people. But at the end of the day, it will be up to, to the PREPA employees if they um, want to continue to progress their career with us we're going to work very, very hard on culture. And as I say, I think for many people, and I would say many of the PREPA people that I've spoken to, they're excited for the, um, the fresh sheet of paper, if you like, you know, sometimes it's kind of enabling or freeing to be, um, to be kind of out of the old system and into something new and fresh. And so that's what we offer. Thanks Wayne. Yeah, you're very welcome. Marty. It was a great conversation for me, for me, you know, I just sum up by saying, I think this is about leadership. This is, this is obviously about technology and a bunch of other things, but I think it's it's really about leadership and um, real and lasting transformation takes strong leadership. We have a phrase in the company that I work for, leaders must lead, and I don't think it's ever been more evident than in this effort. And so I look you know, to all of the stakeholders we're working with to show strong leadership in the next few months and years. and and help all of us get focused on making things, uh, making the electricity system better for Puerto Rican. Well, you may be over the horizon, but there'll be a lot of folks watching what you're up to. It's going to be interesting to track. I look forward to talking um, perhaps sometime in the future, Marty, and, and updating you on our progress. Let's do it. And thank you all for listening to Grid Talk. We've been talking to our guest. Wayne Stensby, who's the president and CEO of Luma Energy in Puerto Rico. You have been listening to Grid Talk. You can send us feedback or questions at gridtalk at nrl.gov. We encourage you to give the podcast a rating or review on your favorite podcast platform. For more information about the series or to listen to previous podcasts, please visit smartgrid.gov. Thanks for listening to Grid Talk, presented by the U.S. Department of Energy Office of Electricity Advanced Grid Research Division. Subscribe through your favorite podcast provider or visit smartgrid.gov for more information.